people of the world, welcome to Marketing as a Foreign Language. This the 307th episode on the show today, Third Time's a Charm. We've had many enlightening conversations, um, it, the, like the authenticity, the love, the spirituality, the everything that goes into um, my conversations with uh, Brian have been fantastic. You've probably heard the other episodes. Um, you know his story, Walmart parking lot, that whole um, that whole vibe. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I do recommend that you go back and check them out because I don't want to rehash and ruin it for folks that have already listened to it before. So we're going to pick up where we left off, which is um, kind of a, a deep, uh, dare I say, profound attempt to um, understand human psychology, the spirit, the soul, how it relates to business and ultimately um, how we fill our hearts with love, with an understanding that everything is interconnected. Just that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know him. You love him. It's Brian Bogart. What's going on, brother? Happy to be back. Here we go. So um, I'm thinking about writing a book about the intersection of soul and business, because I feel like those <laughs> those two things don't get enough love. You know, it's always soul is like flu flu religion and that's over here. And then business is very capitalism, this sort of thing. Um, do you think that has any legs, that idea? I think it has a ton of legs. I think it's all going to be in the delivery, right? We were talking about this a little bit before we jumped on. It's like, I think when we look at soul and we look at business, we've got to be able to understand the communication, the cadence and the way that we communicate so that we can connect with both audiences. There are people who will be in the middle there and actually will be able to bridge both audiences, business and soul, because they've done the work on both sides, understand it, can understand how they connect. So it's very intuitive and connected for them. But I think it's going to be an intriguing enough concept that there's going to be people who do more soul work, who don't understand how it connects to business and people who do more business work, who don't understand how it relates to soul. And so I think it's all in the delivery, but I think it's absolutely there. Um, I think it's a phenomenal concept. And I think if we put a little more soul, a little more heart, a little bit more consciousness into everything we did, uh, in life, but especially in business, I think we'd be in a better place. Hmm. So let, let's talk about the soul. Do you believe in an, in an eternal soul? Do you believe in reincarnation? Where do you fall on those sorts of things? So my thoughts are constantly evolving on these things. My beliefs are constantly evolving on these things as I have done further and further meditation and consciousness work myself. Um, I would tell you that I don't enter into any conversation with a definitive belief because I don't know what I don't know. But at the moment, I would tell you that I believe in, as you said it, definitive souls, souls that can be reincarnated and souls that I think can kind of transition and, and have additional work to do. I believe at the moment, that's my belief system. Um, five years ago, I don't know that I would have said it that way. I don't know that I believed in it. But as I've done more exploration in my own soul, my own level of consciousness and my own reincarnation, if you will, past lives, if you will, um, there's at least enough resonance in what I've learned that it's making me lean in enough to explore. Now, where will I go as I learn more? Who knows? But at the moment, I believe in that. So I was talking to a uh, customer service representative at Flagstar Bank today because I was trying to figure out whether or not I owed taxes because I got a letter in the mail. And um, I had that moment with her where I'm like, you know what, even before the call started, I, I'm like, I am not going to see this person as a customer. She happens to be a customer service representative at Flagstar, but, but I'm going to identify as a soul, whatever that means. Scientists are ruling their eyes a million, million times per second. I get it. Um, some scientists, I should say. Um, and uh, But that helps me treat the other person in a more human way. 
So isn't that enough? Just the fact that I have that belief system and it makes me a kinder hundred percent. And I would say though, again, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, like that to me fits into the philosophy that we have, which is who before what, right? So often we identify with what people do as who they are and that's how we're going to engage with them. Right? So you could have walked into that room and been like, yeah, she's a bank teller. And so identify with that person just based solely on what she does. Recognizing that's not a part of our identity. That's not a part of who she is. It's just something that she does. Right. So when you realize that you can focus on the human on the other side of that counter and realize that that teller is there also as a human being, likely having her own things in the world taking place for you to enter into that with the human experience and human element front of mind is actually what we're on a mission to do. Bring who before what people before profits, because I, I, you know, again, reincarnation or not, what you just did was you focused on who she was, not what she did. Think about how often we interact in the world based on what someone does how we view them or based on how we would describe who they are based on what they do. How often do you go to a networking event and the first question somebody asks you is, what do you do? And even when you flip it on its head and you say instead a question like, who are you? 98% of people answer with what they do. So prior life work, soul work, or just focusing on the human experience. I don't really care what it is. At the end of the day, Right now in this life, regardless of your belief system, we interact with other human beings regularly and consistently. And that's what we've lost the art of is human connection. I was, uh, yeah, and it's, it's completely morphed. I was talking to um, some neighbors of mine and uh, there's a gentleman, Walter, who is losing his mind, right? He's in his 80s and there was a hospital, I'm sorry, a hospital, an ambulance um, out there the other day. And I was like, oh, and I said to Walter, I said, was that for you? He says, no. And then his son in his 60s is sitting there. He's like, yeah, dad, that was for you. You went to the hospital. Mm. And he's and he's like, oh, I have no, you know, um, it's it's like, how do I love him where he is? Um, and by the end of the conversation, uh, I just I felt like. Like I had brightened his day because the last mm -hmm. thing he said to me was he was like shutting shutting the door he's like hey thanks for stopping by you know sort of thing and and our conversation was just wild i mean it's it, i was sort of like well i would imagine with you in particular it would be wild because just because ah. the way you converse think and operate and ask questions so that in of itself is a guarantee then you throw in an 80 year old person who probably has dementia or alzheimer's of some sort and and i'm sure it was a fascinating conversation yeah you know but just being willing to be like i have no idea what we're talking about like i don't yeah. like what is happening you know? but it's, it's it's so thrilling it's so because it's so yeah. different it's so different and now i worked with if i worked with people with dementia all the time it would become normal and that sort of thing but i don't and so it's yeah. just this fascinating fun conversation yeah and, and it is fun, by the way. I totally understand and identify with what you said. I, my, my grandma's got pretty advanced Alzheimer's. And so although I wouldn't consider myself as versed as so many people in this world around those topics, I definitely understand what it's like to interact in that capacity. And when you can just like realize that, you know, again, there's a human being behind what that is. And right, so often people lose patience for people who are seemingly losing their minds, as you even said in the beginning. But like, truthfully, like there's an element of slipping that just happens with aging in general. And when we can recognize and have grace for the fact that like they're a human being, this is a part of the aging process, instead of so focused on like, what are we going to get from them? Are they going to be able to pay attention to us? Are they going to remember our name? Are they going to remember how to put on their underwear in the morning? Like, you know, will they accidentally leave their curling iron on, right? And will cause us to be frustrated. But again, when we can remove all of that external labeling of like what we think they should be, 
<clears throat> based on the fact that, you know, whatever relationship we have or the fact they've been a functioning human being for all these times and pay attention to the fact that who they are is someone who's losing control out of their will. And if we can just engage in them and bring a little bit of joy into their day, truthfully, it, it will make all the difference in the world. But we, we, we lose sight of that sometimes because, again, we're so focused on the what that we forget the who on the other side of that. This is a perfect example, again, of that, right? Yeah, <laughs> you could have no. been focused on what you had to do next, what, what was happening in the conversation or lack thereof, what you could you know, potentially be gaining from that interaction or, or lack thereof. Instead, you just were in it. You were real-time, present, where your feet were and engaged with somebody that you probably got glimmers of wisdom throughout and glimmers of, of what seemed like chaos and cra craziness throughout. <clears throat> and all of it was probably a beautiful little mix because you just surrendered to it. Yeah, I, I, I know that Simon Sinek did quite well with why. Um, and obviously each question has its own um, sort of, you know, lifetime you could spend on just the one question. Um, but I do appreciate your focus on who it's, it's making sense uh, to me. I feel the same thing is relevant with ageism. You know, if I can look at a four year old oh, yeah. and I think, oh, I'm so like, I'm the adult, like, and, and my kids will catch me all of the time. My little gurus, uh, they'll catch me all the time because I'll have that adult thought of, I know better and this is how it should be. And I'm trying to protect you. And then I just, I just let it go. And there's a, there's a part of me and I, I learned this early in teaching because I played strict authoritarian. You must raise your hand, you know, yeah. in my class. And I played that game. Oh, it's bad. Oh, it it's hurts. Bad. It hurts everybody. Um, and uh, wanting like, like it's conditional love is what it is. It's like, if you do what I tell you to do, then I will love you. Um, and everyone has the same rules and that. And you can run a country this way. We've seen, you know, a totalitarian sort of authoritative vibes. Um, they work based on fear and just all this sort of stuff. So at 22 years old, that's where I learned that lesson. Because in my head, it's not that hard. Raise your hand if you want to talk. Simplest thing in the world. Couldn't be simpler. But what it does is it creates in the mind of the student the ability to leverage um, all kinds of power. They're just like, wait a second. So if I just break your rule, like I can get like kicked out or like, what are you going to punish me? Like it just, it creates this, this just awful hellish environment. It's so bad. It's so bad. It is bad. But what you just did was also accept the fact that like you can learn from your kids in a really powerful way to uncondition yourself. And, you know, I, I know that, I mean, I'm still guilty of it. I fall into this still. Like, I'll tell my kids to do something. They don't want, it don't seem like they're listening. They don't seem like they care, right? Or they'll ask me why, and I'll be like, because I said so, right? <clears throat> and I don't necessarily always give them the right answer or any answer or any validation that, like, they're just having intellectual curiosity to truly understand the structure. I fail at this all the time, right? My son is so literal. He's on the spectrum. He's very specific in the way that he communicates, and oftentimes why isn't a challenge, but I'm conditioned to believe that it is. For him, it's just a way to intellectualize what it is. So I may ask him to put his dish in the sink a specific way, and he might say, why? And if I say, because I told you to, there's resistance, feels like his voice isn't heard, feels like it's unvalidated. But if I say, well, because uh, we need that side of the sink clear because we're going to be preparing dinner and I need to put a colander in it so that we can strain stuff. And if you put it on that side of the sink, it's going to cause more work for you or I later. So if we just put it on the right side of the sink, we're proactive. If I give him the answer on why, he all of a sudden is like, oh, that makes sense. But so often we don't actually give people the clarity that is deserved. And as Brene Brown says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And so, although I feel at this 
all the time. I'm still trying to actually pay attention to that because I learned from my little gurus. I mean, my, my son asked me not that long ago. He said, so who determined that words, words are good or bad? Mm. It's like, that's a brilliant question, right? Ryan Holiday, one of my favorite quotes from him and the obstacle is the way is there is no good or bad without us. There's the event that happens and the story we tell ourselves about it. But as a seven-year-old, he's challenging the conditional thought on, right? Shit is a bad word. Why? Why is um, it a bad word? Because I've it offends people? Because it upsets them? Yep. Right? And so again, no different than the structure in a classroom or structure of how we interact with our kids. What our little gurus have the ability to do, if they have the intellectual curiosity, which most of them do, and if we give them a space to actually vocalize those questions and, and a place where they feel validated, then they allow us to see the world a little more clearly. Like, oh, I don't really know who made bad words or not. And yeah, because, oh, by the way, does that matter? Is it good or bad that you say a certain word? Yeah. I don't believe yeah, so. Crap but, is but I don't fine. intentionally offend or damage somebody else either. So point is like your, your kids are teaching you to just think outside of the structure that has been so conditioned into us by all the shoulds of the world. Since the time we're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, we start to get funneled into this box. They're just challenging right now to be like, dad, I don't want to fit in the box. Why are you making me do that? Yep. Yeah. I got a son on the spectrum too. I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. Um, I don't six, think we have. Yeah. Six year old. Isn't that wild? Conversation number three, never even mentioned it. Um, and uh, yeah, he had all the classic sort of like lining up behavior, you know, like lining up toys when he was a kid oh, yeah. and, and all this sort of stuff. Um, and it made me reflect on my mind and how my mind works. And I see autism in me all oh, over hugely the place. In me. All hugely in me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we've got that in common. Um, and uh, so I have had that moment as a father will I, where I will not angrily is not the word, but frustrated. I'm frustrated and I will do what you just described, which was, well, the reason we do is because of this and because of that and because I run through the whole long, it's like two minutes long. My explanation as to why it is that we did whatever. And in my head, I'm doing Dunning-Kruger thing, which is projecting that you should know that. Right. I'm projecting yeah, because on you're, you because you're delivering it with an edge and an energy because you're frustrated. Well, I just well, it's like it seems like common sense to me, but it's not like it's like not. sometimes those whys are genuine. They're like, why? They're literally like, just trying to understand. Yeah. Or even Literally. if they understand it conceptually, they're learning language. And so they Correct. want to hear you explain it in two minutes because now they're, they're taking that like I get what should happen. But now you're giving me language to describe it. But I think what's important is I think there's really two schools of thought typically that I'll see in a lot of cases. Not, uh, there's people who fit in the middle for sure. So I want to be really clear on that. Um, but I think there's a lot of us, and I've done this, where I dismiss, right? I'll be like, because dad said so, right? Like dismissive, like where it's like, oh, I don't, your question isn't valid to me. Just do what I told you to do, right? That, which is really in this element of control, right? Because if I lose control of my kid, then they might not respect me. It might trigger my shame. All these other things that come are rooted in that dismissal, right? Um, but on the flip side, if you have an energy or an edge in how you deliver your answer. So again, I'm not saying that you do, but the way that you just rattle it off, it's almost like you even said like, you should know this, right? The flip side is, is, is when it's explained, it's not done in a gentle way that's truly to teach. It's done in a way that can actually unintentionally shame. Because when you deliver it with an edge or you believe that this person should know that, right? All of a sudden, just the fact that you even said that should is a shame-based word because it implies that whatever you're doing isn't good enough or whatever you're not doing or don't know is not good enough, right? And so truthfully, like when you rattle it off, we need the explanation, but we've got to be paying attention that we're not either dismissing or shaming. 
Oh, because yeah, just like everything in this yeah. world, it's not polarized on one side or the other. Yeah, the there's no the question area. about it. So like I've gone from not saying anything at all, which is the worst to at moments. And you know how it goes. Like as a father at the end, most nights I find myself apologizing to my kid for this, that, or the other thing. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Too. Like the end of the night comes and I'm just like, cause I, I have enough self-awareness to go, Hey guys, you know, there were a couple of moments today where I got frustrated. I'm sorry about 100%. that. Now the reality of like what they should still be learning is still right there. So I'm teaching them that being frustrated is part of the human experience. Good luck never being frustrated. But you're also again. showing what repair looks like. Exactly. And I'm, I'm modeling that too. Hey guys, you know, they're, and then inevitably my daughter's like, yeah, I got frustrated a couple of times too. I'm sorry about that. You know what I mean? And so they're kind of having those moments too. Cause we but that's exactly frustrated. what's happening in our household. We're like literally having yeah. our kids are communicating with us about what they're thinking and what they're feeling and apologizing, taking ownership for what their actions are. Like, you know, like they're starting to recognize when they're getting frustrated. Like my son's starting to self-regulate and realize when he needs to walk away for a minute. Like, genuinely like what you've just done though is inevitably we're going to react to triggers in our world reactions create damage mm. it's going to happen we want to eliminate and minimize the amount of damage that we create in those reactions wherever possible but we also have to own and accept the fact that we are going to create damage it's we can't escape creating damage in our world i wish i could tell you like well, we could just flip a switch and we're going to be perfect in the way that we parent and interact and communicate with everybody else no that's not the world so what happens is when we create damage, it's all in the repair. So if we can eliminate the need to repair as much as possible, huge win. But what you're doing is you're not sweeping under the rug that this damage is actually the okay behavior in terms of how do we operate as a normative. And what you're doing is you're taking ownership for your role, taking ownership for the fact that you're human, that you were affected by something in the scenario and that you reacted and it could have caused damage, even if it didn't. What you're doing is giving them the space to recognize that you care deeply enough, you own and understand their feelings deeply enough, that you're giving it the respect it deserves, which is, hey, I don't care if you're my six-year-old kid, like I was frustrated earlier and my reaction wasn't fair to you. So you're doing repair, which is what's allowing your kids to reason through this and being able to self-regulate and articulate it themselves. That is the piece that I would say most households miss, is the repair. Yeah. Yep. And then let's, let's, let's make it business now. Right. So all of these things, um, there's an incubus line that I love. Every piece contains a map of it all is the yeah. lyric. Um, and it's like, yeah, your relationship with your six-year-old is your client. Okay. It is sales. 100%. It's like, t tell me there's a difference. 100%. Not really like the form no is difference. slightly different. No difference. In fact, um, we probably would make more accommodations for a client than we would for our kid in a lot of households. Sure. And then it's, it, it also begs the question, like if you, if you really spend decent amount of time with your clients, it's gonna, you're going to hurt them and they're going to hurt you of course. and you're going to go through this whole it's thing. It's a relationship too. and we're all human. If it's, if it's actually worth, you know what I mean? Like when's the last like amazing relationship you had where it was all peaches and cream the whole time? I mean, these perfect relationships are usually just don't shallow and superficial. They're not actual relationships. Yeah. So I, I made a mistake. I had a client that was just driving my, my staff nuts and I fired him. I, uh, you know, and I, maybe I can go back and look at it and go like, yeah, but if I had to do it all over again, I would have said, okay, I really would have had a heart to heart with this dude and, and really hashed it out. But I took the sort of just let it go, you know, cut the tie approach, you know? Yeah. And by the way, sometimes that's okay. Like, I wish I could, you know, I, I again, there's probably people who are shaming like, oh, you should have taken more efforts. You should have done this. But at the moment, you made a decision based on the variables that you had at hand. You made a decision. You acted upon it. So reflecting on it even more other than to extract lessons on how to be better next time is a waste of energy. 
right? And so that's something just just pay attention to. But yeah, we've got to pay attention to these client relationships. We have to pay attention to, to, to the fact that all of these things, again, are about people, interactions, communication, relationships. You know, I've got, I've got multiple people in my life that, that I have multiple relationships with, multiple relationship roles with. My wife is one of them. My wife is literally sitting in my office right now. She works in our business. She's a partner in our business. She manages my schedule, works with a bunch of our teams. Guess what? I work with her professionally, not as somebody that works for me or under me, but as a partner and a peer that we've got a mutual goal that we're working towards. I work with her in co-parenting, right? In our household, making sure that our own viewpoints and understandings are what these things are. And then she's my wife, my lover, my best friend, my confidant, my coach, right? Like all of these things. Well, guess what? Like we have to understand which roles we're in at any given moment and be able to try to communicate through the lens of what that relationship is and recognize that like we also can protect and put boundaries around what those things are so that we don't have seat. But, oh, by the way, we're highly dynamic human beings, right? I've got, another, I've got other relationships with people that are friends, clients, business partners, all these things that play multiple roles. And you know, my chief, chief of staff asked me yesterday with one, one relationship in particular, is it, is it ever challenging in that relationship? Like, is it, is it hard because you literally play four roles with this person? And my response was, there most of the time are no issues. But like any relationship, there are hurdles to overcome. And so we have to recognize how do we communicate through them and how do we make sure we find alignments that we can mutually move forward together. What you just described is no different. So everything that I talk about, by the way, in life is a universal concept. It talks about our personal lives. It talks about our relationships with our kids, our, our parents, our spouses, ourselves. Right. It talks about our business relationships with business partners, with associates, with bosses, with clients, with people in the community. Like, I don't care what we do. The reason I'm so passionate about who before what people before profits, everything that we're doing is it is universal truth. It's all about interacting with people and improving the way we connect and communicate and move forward. That's life. So, yeah, my kids are some of my greatest teachers. They've actually taught me more about my relationships in business than just about any other relationship I've ever had. Yeah. And when we judge people and, you know, as, as much as I would like to walk around and say, ah, I like to see the soul, like, let's be honest, the how someone has lived their lives, whether or not they have kids, whether or not they are married, where they live, the car they drive, all of those things, the mind is going to absorb all of that when, when we come into contact with people. And it's beholden to us to play this game of, of this who before what, like we need to be actively engaged in trying to see something deeper. Uh, the Dalai Lama was in a room full of 20 CEOs and uh, they were doing the whole thing. And there was a photographer there and this photographer was on the ground taking a shot of the Dalai Lama. He's like, he's like, hey, take a nap when you're down there. He's like interacting with them and chilling with them. And then they do the big 20 CEO shot. And then the Dalai Lama like, like has the photographer come over and he, he takes special time to take pictures with him he's like someone grab his camera and take pictures of us and he goes out of his way to have equanimity right and so it's like you're, you got your biggest client over here you have your like right hand person in your business you've got your wife you've got all these different people and the mind just loves to create this hierarchical structure of importance right um whereas the reality i think is uh, much more equal yeah. And, you know, I just, I, I don't even like to necessarily frame things through like the lens of equilibrium or equal, because I think it implies our natural desire to seek balance. And I'm not a believer that balance exists. <laughs> Go on. Well, I just don't think it exists. I don't think that balance in anything exists. I think it's about integrating and alignment, 
right? And so, like, again, that, that, this whole concept of work-life balance, right? It doesn't exist, especially in today's world with access to technology and how on we are constantly. I mean, and look at, look at my life, like work-life balance. My wife and I own a business, multiple businesses together. We work professionally in a world together. And then we also have, like, life, Right? There is no work-life balance. There's an integrated life in how we live. We traveled for four weeks the month of July in multiple different cities having our kids while I was traveling for meetings that I needed to have, but they were a part and integrated in my life. And so I think it's no different with relationships. Like we try to create this like hierarchy of like importance. And, and oh, by the way, like I, I do believe in a hierarchy of importance, at least in the way I view the world. This, by the way, I want to be very clear, is not in a thought or opinion that I think anybody else needs to adopt. It's my view. Take it if it works for you, but don't, like, right? I, I hear all the time, right? Like households and structure and, and how often people put themselves last, right? I'm just a firm believer. Like if we, and it goes through the lens of who. I believe we need to focus on who we are first. Then I need to focus on who we're doing this for. And then who are we going to impact? It's no different. So I look in our household. It's like, it's got to start with me, my relationship with myself. Secondarily, it has to be my wife, her, the relationship with herself and herself. She's got to be on that own journey her, her, by, by herself on her platform. Then it's got to be our marriage and it's got to be our marriage before our kids. We were here before our kids. We won't exist after our kids unless we continue to reinvent. So again, we're like forcing a hierarchy in this relationship of importance in terms of where I'm going to put the focus. But the reality of it is I've got to integrate all of the dynamics of that into one life and try to enjoy it and have joy, freedom, and fulfillment through it in as many moments as possible. So it just forces the need for the highest levels of awareness and intentionality possible in all, all areas of our life. But that's also why I speak universal truths. Because these things really impact everything we do. There's not work-life balance. There's not, like, there's just not. We live an integrated life. So are we integrating the things that are most important to us? Are we feeding the things that are most important to us? Are we prioritizing in the areas that align with us most? Because it's when we do those things that our lives become self-regulating. We know what fits and who fits, where or why not. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's fascinating. The reason I don't have anything to say is because I was listening to you. you <laughs> Jeffrey, I was having a conversation the other day um, and a uh, girl across the table for me, uh, she was just, I would say, I'd finish a thought and then there'd be silence. And uh, later in the conversation, I was sort of like, like what and she explained to me that she's really into this listening kick where she's like, I'm really just trying to listen. I'm really trying to absorb what people are saying. And I was like, oh, that's cool. When I stop talking, you don't have anything to say to me. And that's a compliment as opposed to, right? Because Got if it. someone's like ready to like fire with that next thing, they were thinking about that while you were talking. Yeah. Um, I have that's a beautiful point. Isn't that interesting? You know, and, yeah. it, and as a speaker too, it's, it's, I find myself like I'll stick the landing on a point. And then when there's silence, I have to get comfortable with the fact that it's just sort of like hanging out there um, in the ether. But I, I mean, but that's a valid point. I mean, I, I for a long time struggled um, with understanding that dynamic. I mean, when I go when I go on stage in person, in particular, I create an experience and I move massive amounts of energy in that room. And I, for a while, would look at the silence at the end of a talk as like, I totally screwed this up or I didn't connect the points or I didn't anything. And it was maybe a few years back that somebody said to me, they were like, no, 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 Brian, like what you have to understand is it's like, when you take people on this journey, you almost transport them to another world. 
and when your talk finishes, it's like they're slapped back into reality. And all of a sudden it's like, there's like this wake up processing moment. Like it's got to breathe a little bit, right? The room needs to breathe for a second just to have it happen. And so I've started surrendering to that. I used to, I mean, I don't even ask for questions at the end anymore because very typically people can't in my talks process what was said fast enough to ask a question. It happens, but it's not common. So I will either stop three quarters away through the talk or I make myself available after I get off stage. And typically once I'm off stage, there's a line and that line just continues. Right. I, and people I bet, are I bet processing you get really personal stuff from people. You know what I mean? I bet a that lot of times lot. it's personal because the way that I talk, but, but yeah. there's truth to the fact too, that they needed a second to just like catch up to the experience. Right. And so I have learned that uh, at least when I'm on stage, but I also do, I, I've never thought about it as it relates to a one-to-one -one conversation in the way that you just articulated it from your right. experience. So where I was going with that is I was trying right. to say like, I've experienced that in a macro stage, right. but in a micro stage, like one-to-one, -one, I have not necessarily processed it that way. So I think that's a really interesting thought. And I'm, I'm I guess, thanking you for bringing that to my attention. No, that's great. That, I mean, what a skill, you know, that you can, you can, you can get a whole room of people to be like, You know what I mean? Just that. Like, yeah, like, and I didn't say that to impress on a skill for me. I was more saying like, no, no, I no, get no. and the... I'm not accusing you of self-aggrandizement. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> okay, I just want to be clear. I'm not, I'm no, not that I'm guy giving, to be like, no, oh, you... I'm so good. No, I leave no, people no, no, speechless. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Um, but if that's, if that's what it is, what it is what it is. I mean, like, if you take a look at, um, like, any great, like, band or poet or, I mean, like, even imagine, like, a surgeon. Like, someone wakes up and they're like, it was successful. And that person's just like, and they have that moment. I mean, yeah. people are doing this all the time. I mean, we're leaving each other speechless a lot. It's, you know, it's just, it just means that you're in flow and you're doing it, but, um, uh, never enough time. Um, I want to make sure you have a chance to let folks know where to go, uh, what to do that sort of thing. Um, so Brian, why don't you selfishly pitch your capitalistic enterprises? <laughs> capitalistic enterprises. I love it. Um, well, I actually have a, a new one to offer today. Uh, I'm going to say if you, if you follow on social, go to, to at Bogart Brian, you can follow us anywhere. Um, but I want you to go, there's two websites that I want you to check out. They're both that just launched. One of them is very specific for a course. Another one is, as it relates to a, lumbo, a number of our entities that come up, um, Go to no limits you, Y-O-U spelled out, nolimitsu.com. It'll talk to you about what we just launched. We've, for 18 months, been redeveloping our course to help people calibrate with who they are, who they're doing this for, really on the coaching and, and speaking side. Um, and so at a minimum, it'll just give you kind of an entree for some of the work that we do. Um, but also go to iamnolimits.com. Uh, so those are the two websites I'd say go to. I Am No Limits will just give you a little bit better understanding of what our team is and the areas that we've got our hands in. Um, but we're on a mission to impact a million lives. So like I've said every single time, all we ask is that if something resonates with you, if something moves you, just please like, comment, and share. I don't even care if you do it on social, if you just turn your phone and show it to somebody. I, it's not for vanity metrics. It's for our collective impact because the only way we get to a billion lives is together. And I'm asking for all the help we can get because what we create is really genuinely designed to elevate and empower people to be able to do these things on their own. So uh, thank you for the opportunity as always, brother. I always love communicating with you. Um, love being able to come here and pour my soul into your audience. Um, and, uh, you know, I look forward to continuing to do this over time because, man, we've got a really cool chemistry going on. Yeah, let's go. And then we just learned about our sons today. And that's a, that's a whole episode in and of itself. It is. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Bogert, you know where to find him. We'll see you all next time.